Can we say this together? It's been a little while since we've done it, and if you haven't been here when we did, you can see it on the screen behind me. But let's, let's say these words together. We are the body of Christ called to live different, to invite people to come together, invest in each other, and engage in what matters most because of Jesus. If it's your first time here or you stumbled in the door this morning and you haven't been around very long, I want you to know that we are far from perfect, but this is who we are striving to be. It's both who we are and who we believe we're called to be, a people who believe in Jesus so deeply and believe that Jesus literally changed everything. And because of that, we feel like we have to live different if we claim to know him. And so I want to say this too, because I know we have a lot of people who have been coming the last few weeks and coming over the summer and who are looking for a church home. And I want you to know that we would love to have you come and to be a part of the faith family here at Riverside. But if you do, we're going to ask you to do this. We're going to ask you to live different. To live different because of Jesus. I love Nathan and Michelle. A lot of you know them. And a few weeks ago, we sent them off as they went to Greece and they're there now, right now, serving uh, over there, serving refugees who are coming through and who are looking uh, for something. And they don't even know what, but they already have stories of how God is moving in that place. But I love what Nathan said, that this was the, the Spirit's calling in their life. This was the next right thing for them to do. But it's not necessarily what God is calling everyone to do. And the, the question is, is what is God calling you to do? What is he calling me to do? And will we have the courage to do that? Will we have the courage to engage in what matters most? And, and over the next few weeks, that's what we want to talk about, and that's what we want to lean into, is this idea of uh, this part of our vision of being the kind of people that engage in what matters most, and having the faith and having the courage to actually do it. Uh, I'm guessing that there's at least two different kinds of people uh, in the room. At least, yeah, there may be more, but there's at least these two, right? Uh, there's those of us who, whenever we see a need or whenever we see something that needs to be done, a situation where we can help, we jump in. Like, you know people like this. Some of you are people like this. That whenever you see something or, or see a need or see a situation, you're quick to jump in and help if you can. And that's just what you do. That's just your second nature. Then there's the rest of us, right? There's those of us who, whenever we see a need or see a situation or see a problem, we hesitate, we're not quite sure. Like we know what we should do. Like our mind knows what we should do, but our body just won't cooperate and we can't always do it. We, we hesitate. And I want you to know that the point of this series isn't for us who hesitate to become like those who always engage because you, you know this. Some people are over-engaged. Some people are hyper-involved. Some people are, are, are spread too thin and doing too many things. And it's all with good intent. But the point of this series is for us as individuals, but also as a community of faith to engage in what matters most because of Jesus. Now, right there, we're saying a couple things, right? First of all, we're saying that we can't do everything. We're going to confess that, that we just can't do everything. We can't help in every situation. We, we have limited people. We have limited resources. We have limited talent. So we can't do everything. There is a Messiah and we are not him. But we do want to be engaged and what we believe matters most because of, of Jesus. And right there, we're saying something else, right? That, that we believe that God is already at work 
in the world around us. He's at work in our home. He's at work in this church. He's at work at our schools. He's at work in our neighborhood. He's at, he, he's at work everywhere. He's, he's at work in our workplace. And we want to have eyes to see and hearts that are aware of ways and places and people where God is moving. And we want to join God in that journey. We want to join Jesus in what he's doing around us. We want to be a part of what he's a part of. It's not this idea that we're going to start something new and ask God to come get involved in it. No, he's the initiator. We want to be aware of what God is doing And we want to join him in what he's already, we want to engage in what matters most because of Jesus. We want to be involved where he's involved. And we want to have the faith and the courage to do it. And therein lies the problem, right? Because so often we feel this, and some of us, we don't talk this way, but this is what it is. If you didn't know it, let me just tell you. So many times we feel that thing inside of us, and what it is, is this the Holy Spirit prompting us to do the right thing in that moment. And, and it's something in us that's divine, it's something that's from God, it's His Spirit that's inside of us that's, that's prompting us, that's telling us, that's showing us to, to say something or do something in the moment. But so often, and this is not divine, this is human, so often we stop or we hesitate and we don't do it. We don't say it. We don't speak up. We don't help out. We don't take the initiative. We withdraw. We hesitate. We fall back. And that is not of God. That's of us. And, and, and if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you've been there. You've experienced this, this. This moment where in the moment you felt like you should do something, but for whatever reason, you didn't. But what would it look like? If Riverside was different, what would it look like if we were the kind of people who, when we individually and when we as a church felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit, we moved, we engaged, we did what we felt God was calling us and prompting us to do, and we had the courage to do it. Uh, there's a guy, you'll see his picture on the screen behind me. His name is Alex Honnold. And uh, sometime earlier this year, he, um, he, he's, he's a, a world-famous rock wall climber. And he climbed in Yosemite. It's called El Capitan, the, uh, one of the world's largest rock wall surfaces, 3,000 feet in the air. And that's, that's remarkable in and of itself. But what makes it absolutely astounding is that he scaled this 3,000-foot rock wall with no ropes, no nets, no harness, nothing, nada, just his fingers, his toes, and a bag of chalk. And apparently a lot of video cameras, right? <laughs> and can you imagine, it took him over four hours to scale and to climb this rock wall. I have to believe that, you know, somewhere after hour one, his fingers start getting numb, start getting tired. But he knows if he loses his grip, if he slips, if he gets tired for a moment, what's going to happen? He's going to fall and it's going to be captured on video, like his death. Like there's no, this doesn't end well unless he reaches the top. Mile, you know, he's up and now to hour two, hour three, he's almost there. But every, every inch, every handhold after every handhold, his fingers are bloodied. He's tired. He's He's, you know, fatigued, but he has to keep going. And you and I, we look at somebody like Alex Honnold and we think, that is amazing. We may even say, that's crazy. (laughs) But we would probably all say, that took an amount of courage to be able to scale a 3,000-foot rock wall over four hours 
with nothing, no ropes, no nets, nothing. Just him and the wall. What an incredible, what, what, what incredible courage that would take. And, and it does. But I want you to know that's not necessarily the kind of courage we're talking about today. We've got in this room a lot of courageous people. One of the blessings and joys of what I get to do is I get to, uh, maybe more than most of you, I get to see and witness and hear stories about how so many of you who are living out your faith in incredibly courageous ways every day. You're choosing to, and it's often in quiet ways, but you're choosing to, to live faithfully every day, and you're doing so with incredible bravery. You're doing so because uh, you feel convicted by God, called by God to do what you're doing, to live faithfully in the moment, and it's incredible. But there's also a lot of us who have the same experience, but for whatever reason, we can't. And I don't know if it's fear. I don't know if it's confrontation. I don't know if it's, I don't know. But there's something inside of a lot of us that causes us causes us to pause whenever we should be brave and we fall short and we just aren't. And what I want you to know this morning and what I want you to know throughout the series is that so many times we look at the, the stories in the Bible, the stories of the men and women of faith that are portrayed there, and we say that they are people of incredible faith, people of incredible courage. But if you know anything about their life, you know anything about their story, then you know that that's, not, that's true, but it's not necessarily true. Take Moses. We're going to look at the life of Moses over the next few weeks. Moses, and a man of incredible courage and incredible faith. But if you know anything about his story, and we'll see this as, as it unfolds over the next few weeks, there was oftentimes where he hesitated. There were many times when he debated with God. There were many times when he was afraid. But yet Moses was known as a man of courage, a man of God, maybe the greatest leader of the people of God ever. Unbelievable. So how can you and I live into this same story that God has been authoring. A few weeks ago, Grayson, uh, our student minister, who is wonderful, by the way, asked me to come speak to our teenagers at camp and, and asked me to, to talk about this idea that, that the story of God, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it's a profound thought, the story of God is still being written. Like when, you know, when, when the last period and the last word is written in Revelation and the Bible comes to a close, the story of God isn't over. God wasn't done. God is still authoring his story. And you and I have a chance to be a part of the great story of God. You and I have a chance to play a part in the great story of God. The question is, will we? Will we be involved? Will we take action? Will we take our part? Will we take our place? Will we be a part of the story that God is writing? And it's an incredible cause, an incredible idea, it's an incredible notion that you and I could play a part in the great story of God, that God is still moving, that God is still working, and God wants to use people like you and me. That's the idea. And the question is, will you and I, will we get in the game? Will we do it? Will we engage in what matters most? So we're going to look at Exodus. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, I'd love for you to turn that on, open that up. Exodus is, is the second book in your Bible. Exodus chapter 1 is where we're going to begin this morning. And we're going to get into the story of Moses, but today I want us to talk about the story before the story. So Exodus 2, 
we'll look at next week. And that's where we see Moses enter into the story. But in Exodus 1, there's a story before the story. Like, there's always a story before the story, right? And this story, I believe, is an incredible and a fascinating story. Just to catch you up to where we are at this point in the story of God, Joseph has just died. Now, Joseph... Uh, you may remember Joseph who had the Technicolor dream coat, Joseph who had the coat of many colors. That, that's the Joseph we're talking about. He, he, he had lived with his family. Jacob was his father, and he had these 11 brothers. The problem was uh, Joseph's brothers literally hated him. They thought that he was more favored, that, that, their, that their father loved him more than the rest. So just parenting advice, don't do that because it ends badly. Um, but yeah, so Joseph's brothers took him one day when he came out to check on them as they were tending the sheep. And uh, they, they, they ripped off that beautiful, you know, coat of many colors. They threw Joseph in a pit. They sold him into slavery. They went back to their father. They had ripped the coat up and dipped it in animal's blood. And they said, Dad, bad news. Joseph, your favorite son, is dead. He's no more. Uh, and so he's gone. J- Jacob grieves the loss of his son. Joseph, meanwhile, has been carried to Egypt. He ends up as a slave. At the lowest point in his life, he's in an Egyptian jail cell for a crime he didn't commit, thinking his life is over. But then through a story, God elevates him from the lowest point in Egypt to the highest point in Egypt, and he becomes the second in command of Egypt, second only to the king of Egypt, Pharaoh himself. Well, now, an amazing thing happens. A famine strikes the land, and Joseph, Joseph's brothers and his dad end up coming to Egypt to find food. And when they came to find food, what they found was Joseph. He's alive. And because of Joseph's work in the kingdom of Egypt, not only was all of Egypt saved, but his family was saved. Saved from starvation. And now Joseph has died, his brothers have died, but their family had taken up residence in Egypt, and their family began to grow and grow and grow, you know? And they became known as the Israelites because Jacob, Joseph's dad, was also named Israel. So now the sons and daughters of Israel have taken up residence in Egypt and they're growing to such a point that the new Pharaoh is getting really nervous about the situation. So this picks up in Exodus 1 and we'll start in verse 8. It says this, Eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. And he said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, you hear all the ifs coming up here? They will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So this new king comes to power, this new Pharaoh comes to power, and what happens? His first decision as king, his first decision as Pharaoh, is motivated by fear. He looks around at the landscape of his kingdom and he's like, man, these Israelites, they're growing, they're out of control. We've got to do something to stop the population growth of these Israelites. So we're going to make a decision, we're going to make a move to, 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 to stop this. His first decision is motivated by fear and that fear comes from insecurity. Insecurity always leads to fear. So verse 11, the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses and supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. In what 
started all of this. At this point in the story, the Israelites hadn't done a thing. But Pharaoh, the new king, was afraid of what might happen if. And that initial fear, rooted in insecurity, led to oppression, aggression, and violence. Because he was afraid of what might happen if. And it's at this point in the story, I just got to take a quick pause and ask you the question. Does this same scenario play out in your life? Not that you're oppressing anybody or making anyone slaves in your life, but, but is this the way fear works in your life? Is this the way insecurity works in your life? When's the last time you got angry or acted out or said things that you regretted? And if you think about that moment, if you go back in time and replay that moment, that whole deal was rooted for you in fear. And maybe even fear of what might happen if. This is what fear does. And if we're honest, I think we have to just acknowledge it, that fear always, fear is always rooted in insecurity and fear always brings out of us aggression, oppression, and even violence. This is what fear did to Pharaoh, and I think this is what fear does in every one of us. Verse 15. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah. Now, I'm going to pause right there because you may think this verse 15 is pretty insignificant, but I think, I think this is pretty amazing. Like, if you think about it, so far in the story, we don't even have the name of this new Pharaoh. We just know that there's a new king in Egypt. He's not even given a name in Exodus. But these two lowly Hebrew midwives, these two women, are named. Women aren't very often named in Scripture. Whenever they are, it's like a huge, like, you know, red flag, like, hey, look at this, this is important. Right here, these two midwives were told their names. Shifra and Pua are named. And listen to what happens. Verse 16, Pharaoh tells them, when you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. And if the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. So Pharaoh's fear drives him to even more unspeakable violence. Verse 17. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. And they allowed the boys to live too. Can you imagine this? Pharaoh sends down this edict. Everyone in the kingdom knows it. Everyone in Egypt knows it. Every every Hebrew living in the land knows it. If you're pregnant and you give birth to a baby boy... The orders are for him to be immediately executed. So can you imagine being a young mother or being a young father and you're getting ready to have your child and Shifra or Pua or one of these midwives shows up and you're praying like you've never prayed before that this baby, because there's no ultrasounds, you don't know what's going to happen yet. You're praying to God that this child is a baby girl because you don't want to lose your child. And sure enough, your baby's born. You hear the first cry. They tell you it's a baby boy. And instead of Shifra or Puah take, in some way killing your child, they instead wrap it up and place it in your arms. And in that moment, you were so thankful 
but also so incredibly fearful. Not only for the life of your child, if this gets found out that his life was saved, but also for the midwife, who directly disobeyed probably the most important and powerful ruler in the world at this point by placing that child in your arms. And they did this. Schiffer and Pua did this over and over again. Every time a, a baby boy was born, they didn't kill it. They allowed it to live. And they gave it to its parents over and over again. And why? Like, why did they do that? It, it, it says right here, they did it because they feared God. And I've been, I've been like thinking about this all week long. What, what does it mean to fear God? And how does the fear of God make you a person of such incredible courage, incredible bravery? Obviously, fear means to be afraid, but fear means more than that. Fear means to, to be in reverence or to, be, to stand in awe of, to have incredible respect for. That's what it is to fear God. And in this moment, Shifra and Pua, no doubt, were afraid of Pharaoh, but they feared God more than they feared any earthly king. And that fear of God motivated them to do what was right, even if it meant their life. I mean, they could have played the what if game like you and I do so many times. They could have said, what if, what if Pharaoh finds out? What if we do this? What if we don't do what he said? And what if, what if he finds out? What will he do to us? What if he kills us? What if he kills our family? What if he exiles us to some foreign land? What if he, what? But they didn't. They could have reacted in fear, but instead they responded in faith. And it struck me, you know, the fear the fear of men leads to insecurity, but the fear of God leads to incredible security. Verse 18, so the king of Egypt called for the midwives. He's found them out. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? Pharaoh is furious. You know why? Because fearful people are easily angered. You ever notice that? Fearful people are easily angered, and it drives them crazy when they don't get their way. Verse 19, the Hebrew women, I can't really explain this verse. It just seems funny to me. The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are, what's the word, more vigorous and have their babies quickly so that we cannot get there in time. Yeah, they made that up. <laughs> they're, they're more vigorous. I looked it up. I was like, what does that mean? Another verse says, or translation says, they're more lively. I don't know what to do with that. I'm just putting it out there. Uh, they straight up lie to Pharaoh, and he buys it. He buys it. We couldn't get there in time. Sorry, Pharaoh. It's not our fault. Whatever. But God, look what God did, verse 20. God was so good to the midwives. And the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, there it is again, he gave them families of their own. The story just amazes me. Shifra and Pua did what was probably the most courageous thing and maybe what was the most terrifying moment. It, it had to feel like they were scaling a 3,000-foot wall with no ropes, with no net, with no harness, with nothing to catch them if they fell, except for this one thing, right? They did what was right in the sight of God. And whenever you do what's right in the sight of God, you don't have to be afraid of falling. You don't have to be afraid of failing. Because when you're obedient to God, when you do what's right in the sight of God, 
And here, here's what's amazing about the story is so often we don't see this in Scripture. So often, we, you know, you don't even see your reward for what's done on this side of the grave, uh, this side of heaven. But here it says that God, because of their faith, because they did what was right, because they feared God, God rewarded them. He gave them a family of their own. They were rewarded for their faith. They were, they were rewarded because they did what was right in the sight of the king of kings, not the king of Egypt. I love that. I love that. And don't miss this. Don't miss this. Because of their faith, because they did what was right in the moment, because they refused to kill the baby boys the moment they were born, when we turn the page next week, another baby boy will be born. And his name will be Moses. And because of their faith, he will live. Because of their faith, one day he will lead their people out of their Egyptian bondage and into the promised land. Because of their faith, he will lead them out of darkness into light. You see, you never know what hangs in the balance when you choose to do the right thing. You never know. You never know what hangs in the balance when you choose to do the right thing. I love the story of what happened on December 1st, 1955. This happened in Montgomery, Alabama, where I was born, and you know the story. On that day, a lady by the name of Rosa Parks was sitting on a bus. And when the white bus driver told her to get up out of her seat, to give her seat to a white passenger and to move to the back, she refused. And I love what Rosa Parks said later. She said, you must never be fearful about what you were doing when it's right. You must never be fearful about what you were doing when you know it is right. And I guarantee you, Rosa Parks, if we could interview her today, she probably had no idea what hung in the balance in that moment. She had no idea what would transpire after that event in the life and the story of this country in her own life. As I was getting ready this week, I, I saw this tweet by somebody I follow on Twitter, A.W. Tozer. He's actually not alive anymore. He's, he was a preacher and an author. He wrote some incredible things, and he said this. He said, too many professed believers talk as if Christ were real and then act as if he were not. Why is that? Why is it that we talk a good game, but we are so slow and so slow to respond to what it is God is calling us to do? When we feel the prompting of the Spirit in our lives to do what we know is right, to be brave in the moment, why is it that we so often hesitate? We talk as if Christ is real, but then we behave as if he is not. And I think it's because we're afraid. I don't know what it is we're afraid of, but we're afraid. And because of that, we live in disobedience to God. We do it because what if? What if we did that? What would happen? What would people think of us? What if, what if, what if the, my friends found out? What if I lost my job? What if things didn't go well? What if this happened? What if, like, what if my life is at risk? You know, what if, I love that our teenagers just went to Houston for a week and they're going to go to the DR and a group just got back from Honduras and there's a lot of people who will never go on a mission trip because they're afraid of what might happen if, but I love it when people do because they're saying in the face of that that we are not afraid. And even if we are, we're going to do it anyway. Because we're going to be obedient to God. We're going to do what is right. What if has kept a lot of Christians from doing a lot of Christian things? But what if we were a people? What if we were a church that weren't motivated by fear, but by something different? 
You know, the, op- the opposite of fear isn't courage. It's taken me a long time to figure that out. The opposite of fear is not courage. The, op- the opposite of fear is love. The opposite of fear is love. And what if we, as a people, were a people of courage because we know that we are loved? And what if because of that motivation, what if because of that knowledge that we are loved by God, what if like Shifra and Pua, we knew that God was with us and because of that, we were not afraid? What would we do? What would you do if you believed that God was with you? What would you do? My prayer is that through this series, we would all learn in small ways and maybe some big ways too, to do good, to be brave, to do what we know is right and to have the courage and the faith to do it. And what I want to ask you to do is to step out. Step out of your comfort zone, step out in faith, step out and do whatever it was that, that, that you have been hesitant or reluctant to do because of fear and do it because of faith. Do it because you know that you are loved by God. Do it because when the Spirit prompts you, you know You know that God is asking you to do the right thing. And then have the courage to do it. Have the courage to do it. To do it. Church, if you would, let's let's stand together. I know that a lot of you are facing some difficult decisions today. Some of you face difficult decisions every day. And my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that when we come face to face with those decisions, that we would choose to do what is right and that we would have the courage to do it. You know, Jesus, the night before he was going to be taken away and tried and later executed, prayed a prayer in a garden all by himself. And he prayed these words, not my will, but yours be done. And I wonder what area of your life you need to pray that prayer. What area of your life, what area of my life do we need to pray to God and say, God, you know what's going on, and I pray not my will, but yours be done. Help me to do what is right, and help me to be brave. I know this. I know this is true. That we, that we as a people, we can be, mo- we can be moved to act in courageous ways by love. Just look at the cross. Look at the cross. Love, the love of God, the fear of God, moves people to courageous acts of love. And when we look at the cross and we see Jesus there, we know, we know what love looks like. We know what courage looks like. And it's my prayer that we would be a people of courage. Let's sing.